McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to your forecast episode 121. Three league games without a goal. When will the Blues score? During the podcast today's Andy Mitchmore. How are you Andy? Hi Hugh. Not too bad, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad that we're saving all the goals up for a packed Fratton Park this Saturday after a month away. Okay, that's the positivity done with. Nice, let's crack on. <laughs> Absolutely. I've, I've popped an email to Danny Cowley letting him know now that I'm fit, recovered, off the sofa, heading back to Fratton Park. So give John a little tap on the shoulder, whoever's playing up front, and let him know he's, he's allowed to score again. Exactly. An absolutely spangled Hugh Bunce needs some celebration. That's essentially it. Top of the Fratton end. Needs something to cheer about. Exactly. It'd be like my... I think... No, I've had one beer. I've had one beer, but nothing for a month now. So it's going to be an interesting one where we head out meet up early probably just before 12 uh, and hit the beers before the game on Saturday so looking forward to it yeah exactly it'll be good to get down there again I'm wondering what time I'm going to have to rock up to actually try and sort of tick it out because I mean I don't know about you well actually you've got your season card haven't you mine hasn't rocked up I've got absolutely nothing in the post so if it hasn't turned up by Friday I'm going direct from somewhere else Saturday morning so yeah, could be a fun early trip to the ticket office before we even make it to the uh, to the pub. But yeah, it'll be good, man. Nice to get back there. And same as you, I've not, not drunk at all recently. So it'll be nice to have a couple of beverages and then hopefully remember the game. That's the plan. Freddie Webb will be joining us, but he's currently stuck on a bus. Bus wanker. I think, yeah, well, to be fair, he's given all this information. Oh, I've got a job at Portsmouth News. Uh, he's working for Stagecoach. Let's be honest. You say he's on a bus. He's actually driving the bus and is late finishing his shift. The bearded wonder, just like driving around Fratton. Yeah. We're basically Express FM with this many Stagecoach shout outs. Yeah, don't take the piss. Fr- Fred's a legitimate writer. He's the supermarket beat writer for, for the news. Have you, not, have you not seen his latest article on Tesco opening times? I have not. I did see one trying to predict what Boris Johnson's going to do. Good luck to that because no one's been able to predict that for the last two and a half years or whatever it is. So uh, if he's managed to get that right, man needs promoting, to be honest with you, in his first week in the job. Fair play to him. It is weird to see him doing non-football stuff, though. Yeah, exactly. And if you are interested in this, let's give him a free plug. If you are interested on the Tesco's North Harbour opening times, get yourself on the news website and check that out. Right, Andy, let's get into it. No one was here enough about us going to the brewery. Although if you are going to the game, we'll have a pint, we'll be at the tap brewery, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, come buy Andy an IPA. No, don't buy him one. Buy me one. Who knows? Right, let's signpost this. So first of all, we're going to review the rather disappointing loss to MK Dons. Following from that, we put a question out to you guys and, you know, we really need your help, let's be honest. 
Where are Pompey going to find these goals from? How can Danny Cowley get the team firing again? And finally, we spoke to Tom from the Under the Abbey Stand podcast to tell you guys everything you need to know about the game on Saturday against Cambridge. Right, Andy, Freddie might turn up at any time because he's currently just, you know, doing his cameo for stagecoach, as already mentioned. But until that time, let's get into the MK Dons review. It was sort of a, I'm going to say a game of two halves because we started out looking absolutely vulnerable, battered by MK Dons in the first half, I thought. Danzunu made some absolute quality stops. Probably the highlight of the, of the game so far, but it's hard to see where we got from. Let's start with the Pompey chance. Hackett Fairchild. Ball comes into the box from Freeman on the right. Got to say, credit for the ball. It's a beautiful ball. Really well weighted from him. Hackett Fairchild does the right thing in his mind. He tries to head the ball down into the goal. And you think if he doesn't sort of head it short and gets it anywhere left or right of the goalkeeper, that one goes in. Yeah, that's the big chance, isn't it? And it's it's another weekend or another game where you're looking at narrow mar- uh, narrow margins and what-ifs. And you'd have to say that if you want to be a starting attacking player in, in a professional league, it's the sort of finish you should be making the majority of the time. As you say, he does the right thing. I think it's the idea is definitely right behind it, but the execution isn't quite there. And it's just those little moments, those split seconds at the moment are not going the right side of the post or not, not going the right side of the bar for Pompey. And it is exceptionally frustrating to watch. But we are creating chances. It's not the most exciting thing in the world. And there aren't very many per game at the moment, I would say, having, having seen the last few. But the, the chances that are being created are good enough that they should be being finished. So this one, plus the, the Curtis one that the, uh, the MK Don's keeper saved quite well after Curtis and Marquis had that sort of a two-on-one moment. The quality of the chances is good. The conversion of those chances is not good. And that's still quite a big issue at the moment. I feel like that's a good uh, good analogy there, Andy. But I'm going to say about the Curtis chance, because I'm very torn in, a, in two minds here. On one mind, I've praised him in, the, in previous games for shooting and not enough players are getting shots on goal. Maybe they're just overthinking it. He did have an opportunity maybe to get a ball to Marquis or, or do a cutback rather than shooting the ball into an easier position for someone else to convert that chance. Do you think Ronan Curtis should have taken that one on and shot it? Or do you feel, in hindsight, to be fair, cutting the ball back or putting it square was an easier or better decision even? I think, yeah, hindsight's very, very easy, isn't it? I, a two-on-one like that with Curtis and Marquis, the two Pompey players on the attack, on a good day, you'd back them to score that nine times out of ten. And I do think if Curtis doesn't take that on, tries to square it to Marquis and it goes wrong, he gets absolutely slammed for not having the confidence to take on a shot and it being sort of a microcosm of Portsmouth in front of goal at the moment that they're scared to have a shot because they know we haven't really scored many from open play in the last few games and all of those tropes that would be sort of dredged out if that had happened. So I really don't mind that he got into the position to have a shot and, I mean, the keeper makes a, a decent save. But again... It's the fact that we're not converting any of these decent chances into goals. I don't mind the decision-making there at all because, as I say, if he makes the other decision and the pass is cut out, then he gets absolutely slammed for for not having the confidence to have a go. So, yeah, I don't mind it at all, to be honest with you. But we should be scoring from those positions, those two-on-ones. Yeah. 
yeah, we should be scoring. That That's a chance that you should be scoring. But at the same time, we didn't. There was another ball put through on the attack. Marcus Harness sort of drifts inside, plays a nice through ball to John Marcus. The, the sort of ball that we've been talking about that sort of service Marcus needs, he gets the ball down and he plays a beautiful through ball onto Marcus. He's sort of on the right side inside the box. He takes the shot across to the keeper who dives down to his right, makes the save fairly comfortably. But that's the sort of thing we need, isn't it? And strikers at this level probably need a couple of those chances to score. And that was really the only one that he got. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have a huge amount to add to that, to be honest with you. It's it's frustrating for sure. But I just don't think at this point overreacting is going to lead to any positive outcomes. It's frustrating, but... You know, when it rains, it pours. All it takes is one of these to go the right side of the post and you hope things will revert to type. But I mean, think these things do sort of revert to the mean, don't they? And we're definitely, I mean, I don't do XG stats. I wouldn't dare tread on Fred's toes when he's sitting on a bus somewhere. But I wouldn't dare tread on his toes by going with the XG stats. But we are below where the XG is, I would imagine, for these games. So law of averages reverting to the mean. I do think that keep doing the same processes. We'll see some sort of reward, but at the same time, that doesn't make it any less frustrating than it is at the moment. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's hard to put too many positives on, you know, the well, the number of goals that are being scored in the league at the moment, isn't it? To be honest, it's hard to put a positive on nil. Danny Cowley spoke about after we win a goal down. I think it's the most disappointing part of it. We come out in the second half on top of it creating chances, looking like we're the most likely team to score. Suddenly, bam, on the counter-attack. We concede one, we've committed players forward, and then the process starts falling apart. You know, players making silly fouls. That sort of pressing, that getting on the front foot, all the sort of tactics that as a coach you work on all week on the training ground, they sort of fell aside. Is that something that's going to change in the next game? Can we just sort of like spark that against Cambridge? Or is this something that the players just aren't getting? the system that we're playing? It's a great question. I think in terms of the the response to conceding, I don't think it's something that would be repeated this weekend purely because if Cambridge do go a goal up or if they score early, I'm fairly certain they won't be adopting the same tactic as MK Dons did after scoring their first goal. MK Dons went for two, went for three and potentially could have had a second on another day fairly comfortably. They had a couple of quite good chances after scoring, whereas I feel that Cambridge go a goal up. Similarly, I think it was the Bolton game they had where they went a goal up early and then just completely sat back for the rest of the game and didn't create a huge amount. So I don't think that's an issue we're going to see. The issue is whether or not, you know, if we do go a goal down this weekend, whether Pompey can create those chances against the team playing defensively. It's going to be a really different game this weekend, I think. So it's hard to make direct comparisons in terms of, you know, playing styles and what we're coming up against. But the goal we conceded is a very poor one to concede. I think getting caught on the break is one thing, but it's Troy Parrott, I think, on the MK Don's right-hand side. And he's being tracked and pretty much at a standstill by Curtis and Morell. And you talk there about silly fouls and that the Pompey were conceding after the goal. There are silly fouls and there are smart fouls. And I think that would have been a smart foul at that point where Parrott is on the ball, on the halfway line, You can see from your peripheral vision that MK Dons are breaking forward in the centre and on the left. It potentially would have been a smart time to give away a free kick. Uh, They didn't. They stand up. Parrott gets the ball away. One ball through the centre of defence on the angle. Simple pullback, simple finish. 
it's a very poor goal to concede. And then, as you say, there's no real response there. There's no step up in tempo. There's no step up in quality. The subs that came on really struggled to make a huge impact. Yeah, it's it's just a bit of an underwhelming last 20 minutes, right? It's Yeah, it's, it's not what you expect from a team away from home when they go one goal down, essentially. You don't expect to say, okay, well, we'll take the 1-0 defeat then, which obviously isn't what they were aiming to do, but it's how it came across or how the style of play came across in terms of chance creation afterwards. Can we uh, can we do an official welcome for the man with the, the best beard in the South who has just rocked up from a fairly traumatic commute on a bus? We were wondering, Fred, were you driving stagecoach or were you travelling stagecoach? I don't really want to talk about my commute, to be honest. I just want to talk about this team and that game. <laughs> Fred, it's your commute. Give me an introduction the, then. It's the best Join part us. of the pod. Join us on the podcast is Pompey News Now and the News of Supermarket Correspondent, Freddie Webb. Hi, Fred. <laughs> you haven't mentioned that story, have you? Absolutely <laughs> have. Yep. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Fred, um, before we get into any football-related stuff, yeah, any updates on Tesco opening hours, whether or not we can expect them to have chicken uh, salad sandwiches back in stock after the nationwide <laughs> shortages? Anything you've got would be gratefully appreciated because I'm my lunchtimes are low on protein at the moment and I need some sort of restock in the local Tesco. So, any news? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> let's be honest. Let's be honest. I'll step in for Freddie. He seems a bit wordless. If you're not sure about Tesco's, head to the Newsers website and check out Freddie's article on opening times and head down there yourself. Yeah, um, for, for the for the Tesco extra in North Harbour specifically, um, that'll help us out. <laughs> Exactly. Freddie, what I want to know is the pe- the players in the middle going forward, we, you know, we've got Morel, Williams, Tunnicliffe, Louis Thompson, etc. All the players that you think, you know, are quality acquisitions in the centre there. But I think some fans were saying that maybe Morel and, Tunic- and and Williams are sort of doing the same sort of job in the middle there. Do you think, do you think that's just the case of the fact that they're getting used to playing together as a three in the middle and that sort of fluidity and knowing who's going to go forward and interchanging something that will come? as the games go forward? I think the main problem with that three is even that adds a lot of stability in them at field. And I said last week that Pompey needed those three in the midfield to have any chance of retraining, retaining any control of that game whatsoever against MK Dons, a side that wanted to, wants to keep the ball and wants to control the game through possession and passing. They had to go with that, with that three-man midfield. The problem is, really, who is the more attacking out of all of them? Tony Cliff has been given that nod when he's played further forward and, and he seems uncomfortable with that because he's used to being one of the members of the double, double pivot in the 4-2-3-1. He's used to that job where he's box to box, does a bit of everything and doesn't have to contribute going forward all the time. Whereas beforehand, whenever he saw a space in the midfield in front of him, he would drive into it if he had the ball, he would run into it off the ball if he knew somebody was covering him. Now he's in that space the whole time and it seems a bit, a tiny bit unbalanced for me. I think Morel and Williams do slightly different jobs, whereas Williams it, it obviously doesn't drive play as much in terms of dribbling and always being aggressive going forward all the time, whereas Morel does, in my opinion, from the short stints that I've seen him. Williams is the out ball, whereas always in the right space at the back, whereas if, if Pompey get... Um, in a spot of bother, uh, bother on the wings. And if, um, for example, if Curtis is on the left wing and he's double marked, Williams is always there on the back thing as a um, an out ball all the time. <sighs> time will solve that issue. 
but Pompey haven't, Pompey haven't scored a goal in 358 minutes. That's a big oh, deal. He's turned up with the stats. That's and a big deal. Oh. Researching on the bus, <laughs> sat on the bus with his little phone. Fact, thankfully, I did the prep Fred, beforehand. Um, you, you mentioned there that you think things are pretty unbalanced. Other than time, which, as we all know, in football, managers don't always get. Obviously, the Cowleys have got a very, very long time to do anything at Pompey in front of them, as far as I'm concerned. They're not on, under any time pressure whatsoever this year, even. But other than time, using the players that we've got in the squad... How do you correct that unbalance, to use the phrase you used? It's playing out-and-out number 10. It's probably the only way to solve that issue. Then you have a defined role for everybody. I still don't think... I still don't think putting all the attacking emphasis in that midfield three to Tunnicliffe is the right thing to do, purely because he's there to be the box-to-box. He's there to do a bit of everything. You can give... A more defensive slant to Williams because he's used to being that in a double pivot, two man centre midfield in a 4 2 3 1 anyway. You can give that a little bit of uh, emphasis on him. It's not as unbalanced as I would say Naylor and Close was, where it was obvious, it was completely obvious whose job it was. And, uh, and the opposition could easily counter it by, by double marking Close. And then Naylor would sit back a tiny bit and be defensively strong but wouldn't offer enough going forward, so it was easy to play against. The midfield free for Portsmouth, to a certain extent, is difficult to play against, considering that you don't. It's not there's no defined roles between the three, but the problem is it will create service issues. And looking at the XG, looking at the highlights from the game, it was obvious that MK Dons clearly had more chances in that game, even though even though Pompey had, in my opinion, at least two fairly decent chances. Packet Fairchild's header slightly under that for me. But MK Johns had the chances to win the game and they took it. I, I think the result was fair, to be honest with you. And congratulations, by the way, on the being the person to predict that Pompey would score no goals because you're the only one out of the, uh, the predictions from last week with your nil-nil draw, unfortunately. Well, it was, it was half right. It was half right. Yeah. I, thought the, I thought the defence would hold up, but Did it, you get, it didn't, Did you get points for being half right when you predicted a nil-nil draw and it was 1-0? I think if you're getting points for We're half right, we are being... Way. <laughs> for that, Fred, we are being overly generous with handing out points for predictions if we're doing that. You should have seen Andy's face there. He looked really annoyed. He came storming back over to the camera like, oh, wait a second. Freddie's Literally storming as well. No, He's no, not sitting well, down. Lads, I may or may not be keeping a secret league table of our predictions this year and Fred is not getting any points for that. I will tell you that right now. Right. <laughs> this has got a bit disjointed talking about MK Dons. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Fred? We talked about the chances already. Oh, well... <clears throat> So I think for me, the, the, one of the main good things that Pompey did from that game to bounce out a bit is the press. Statistically, Pompey's press was really good. The passes per defensive action, Pompey's stats were 6.73, which for pressing is very good, very aggressive. It was clear that MK Dons would have the ball a lot, so that move, that bit of the movement off the ball was very good. But it was, but from looking at that stat deeper, it was obvious that they dropped off as soon as. MK Ethan Robson scored on the break. Take that average number that I said, 6.73, and then compare that to 18 between the 61st and the 75th minute. That's the period where MK Don scored. And look at how much that drop-off is. That pretty much says a lot, really, doesn't it, in terms of not only mentality, because the confidence dropped when the goal went in, 
but also the ideas went as well. And that's very disappointing. Another thing I wanted to mention, Danny County said in, his po- in a post-match or an interview that those three chances in that game were enough. I don't think they were. I think MK Dons had enough other solid chances in that game to win by at least two goals. And the XG says that. MK Dons' XG was 2.02, which basically means they could, they could have rightfully won by two goals or more. It wouldn't have been a surprise to me or to the stats anyway. What was Pompey's, Fred? Uh, 0.62. So rounding up, should have been 2-1 if we're generously rounding up. If we're being as generous as we are with the score predictions earlier, then maybe. But The thing is, Fred, though, those three chances, League One level players, would you not expect one of those chances to go in? Therefore, the chance creation isn't the problem, the chance conversion is? I think the only one for me is um, Curtis's shot from the edge of the box. I think he definitely should have squared it. 100%. We've disagreed on that. That's Could exciting, be, isn't it? If, <laughs> if we if we roll that back then, just quickly to touch on that, because we're going to move on because the listeners have already heard us to talk about this, but just to quickly touch on that point, if he does square it and it goes wrong, does he get slammed for not shooting? It, it depends how harsh you are, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think he was a bit too wide, where if he squared it, I think he did the right thing anyway in my opinion. All right, let's get some more structure back and let's get on with the question we put out to you guys. And thanks again. There's been absolutely loads of people who have messaged in again today. We're going to try and get through them all if we can. We said to you guys, Pompey have now not scored in the last three games in the league. Will Richards messaged in. He says, three-man midfield hasn't worked and Tunnicliffe has looked lost further forward. So I'd bring him back to playing eight and give Aziz a go at 10. Fred, are we feeling that? A Tunnicliffe is definitely more of an 8 than a 10, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the midfield three should only be used in specific games. And to be honest with you, I think it was right to use it in the NK Dons game and the Wigan game to a certain extent. Because obviously with NK Dons possession, Pompey would get overrun in the midfield if they didn't have that three, in my opinion. And in the Wigan game, it was the same principle the way they wanted to stabilise and control possession because Wigan are very direct. So they had they used the extra midfielder deeper. It's fair enough. But against Cambridge, I think using Miguel Aziz is the right way to go if he's fit. Um, if he's not fit, it's a worry because Pompey don't have another out-and-out attacking midfielder unless you want to play Hackett Fairchild there and play Curtis on the left and Harness on the right. But it would definitely give Pompey a bit more attacking impetus to have that cam and disease is the right man for that role. It, it entirely depends on who they're facing, but considering it's Cambridge, I think going with the attacking midfielder is the way to go. If he isn't fit, Jacobs? Ooh, that's a rough one. <sighs> Let me have a think. I've never seen Jacobs play 10, so I'm not sure. Unless you. I mean, I, I rate him there. I've seen him play there and I think he can do a job personally. For Wigan, isn't he? He's played there for Wigan. So yeah, he, he is quite capable of playing in the 10 role. And you can see that from his passing, his distribution, his, you know, his sort of... He, he has actually got the skill set, I think, to play in that position, really. You know, he can join the attack and, and shoot as well. So he does have the skill set, but it would be interesting to see how it fitted in. And maybe there's a reason he's not been around that, you've got to think. But it'd be nice to see him there. I know Miguel Aziz touted himself as more of an eight, or even, you know, his player, he said he liked... liked you know, modelling himself almost briskets. He likes to get on the ball. He likes to play a lot. He can play further forward, but I think that's not necessarily his natural role. So I'm looking forward to seeing him if he does play 10 
and saying, is he actually this sort of out and out 10 that Pompey have potentially earmarked him for? Or really, is that just another square peg in a round hole? Yeah, I mean, I've I've got separate slight concerns on this that similarly with Gassan Hadmi, there's a lot of pressure being put on. We're talking about bringing these players in and saying, well, this this hopefully will fix our problems. You know, we're putting pressure on a lot of players who are extremely young when it should be the senior members of the squad who are stepping up and doing, you know, whatever you were doing there, Fred, completely threw me. Um, it should be the senior members of the squad who are stepping up and then being supported by the younger men, uh, the younger players who have come in and come in on loan. And it does feel a bit more like the senior members of the squad in the last few games aren't being clinical enough, aren't doing the bits they need to be doing in the games. And then we're saying, oh, well, hopefully these young players can come in and fix us. And that's a lot of pressure to put on young players on loan who are coming in when it should really be the other way around for me. Pompey and Canberra, Pompey and Canberra messaged in. He says, we don't want to put too much pressure on someone so young. But hopefully Aziz might be the player who could add the creative spark. Maybe once Marquez scores, I'll give him more confidence, leading to a goal-scoring run. Hopefully, anyway. Someone's just got to get hot, haven't they? Strikers have got to score. And I think it's fair to say that he touches on the fact that we don't want to put too much on the young players, as Andy mentioned right there. But somebody's got to step up, haven't they, Freddie? Somebody's got to step up. Who's it going to be? Oh, absolutely. Um, you could talk about the striker thing until you blew in the face. Um, with Marcus in that game, again, there are enough questions where you think, oh, he could do something. If only Curtis sort of squared it, if only he made that specific run. It's getting tiring, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I personally think if, if, if fitness wasn't the only reason, Ellis Harrison could have started that game. And against MK Dons, in terms of matching up, it might have been the better thing, even though I don't think he's as good of a player. But I don't think it's entirely down to the number nine itself. I think the front three as a whole hasn't played as well as I would expect it expected overall. There have been some nice plays, some nice moves. But again, in like other, other, in like other matches at the moment, Pompey haven't played well for the entire 90 minutes. Pompey played better in the second half in that game when Danny Cowley basically had a team club explaining what they were all doing wrong and then their motivation picked up again. But then as soon as something went wrong, their heads dipped again, which is very frustrating. They, yeah. they, almost, need, they almost need a result by any means necessary just to get the conference boost up slightly and then they could move on in terms of more total impressive performances from there. And it's and it's rough. The, the the front three hasn't been good enough, but also the service to them hasn't been good enough either. Otherwise we'll end up we'll end up with a record breaking run of Pompey not scoring a goal. I've got a quiz question for you actually. When was the last time Pompey went on that run without scoring a goal? What's the record? I've got the stat here. I will go was it twelve thirteen when we had 23 games? It, it, it was 12-13, Andy. Very well done. Uh, BR, BRB, it, just doing it, laps. It, What's the prize, Fred? <laughs> Night out I with Freddie to Nando's. We can go for a Nando's if you want, Andy. But basically, <laughs> it was um, 456 minutes. It was in that um, physical um, article um, in, the news, in the newspaper two days ago. 
Isaiah Wilde is the scorer that broke that duck. It's true. Isaiah McLeod. Yeah, Isaiah McLeod in that 3-2 loss to Leighton Orient, which is grim. I highly doubt Pompey would repeat that horrible feat, but if they don't... If they don't sort out the service issues of the front three, and if the and if the wingers don't make those decisive crosses into the number nine, and if the number nine doesn't take his chances, then it could replicate that. It would be very frustrating. Don't take this the wrong way, Fred, but I actually prefer doing podcasts with you after we've lost games. I think it's a lot more. I enjoy your vibe a lot more after we've lost. I think it's a lot more entertaining. <laughs> Why? Just misery. It's, it's <laughs> fantastic. I love it. Sydney Wise messages him and says, I think either Aziz or Jacobs need to start in the 10 position on Saturday. Hopefully they can play the sort of balls that will split a defence and get us in behind. Then, fingers crossed, whoever starts up front can take the chances. We talked about the 10 position, but what I want to know, Freddie, is who do you... Actually, sorry, what I want to know, Andy, is who do you think is the man to start up front? Come on, let's go for it. Do we put Harrison up there? Do we put Marcus up there? Do you want to say? Do you want to see Gassan play there now? Do we just let the young man go? What are we doing? Who's playing up front? That's a great question. I personally, I'm a big John Marquis advocate. I think I'm fairly consistent with that on the pod. I do think why play Harrison and give him the opportunity to make a claim for the team, which he did with a hat-trick, if he's not then going to get an opportunity in the league. And there's a very good chance that against MK Dons, he didn't start for fitness reasons, having played minutes in the week. He doesn't have that situation this week. So I have yeah no issues whatever with him coming in. I think that'll put a lot more onus on Curtis and Harness as well to have to perform in that role. We know that Harrison is a very different type of player to John Marquis in terms of skill set and how he wants the ball played up to him and how he's or how he's going to deal best with the ball played up to him. But I mean, he can't really do more than he did in the opportunity he was given in the in the uh, cup game. And yeah, fairly quiet when he came on against MK Dons. But as Fred said, the entire Pompey style of play had sort of reverted to, a, or not even reverted, it had changed to a less effective style in terms of the press when he came on. So potentially, you know, maybe he deserves a shot for, for 90 minutes in a, in a side that is executing that high press and the wheels aren't falling off a little bit as they were when he came on against MK. Tom Evans messages in, he says, desperately need a pure goal scorer. As much as I like him, Marquis just ain't it. Fred, do you think it's fair to drop Marquez to this game, put Harrison up top or Hurst or Hadme? Wait, where are you going to plonk your flag? What are you saying? I think you just have to drop Marquez purely, at least to show that there's competition in this side. Pompey had done it before. If you remember when Curtis was booed off the pitch and dropped, he was given two, three weeks off and then came back and went on that huge tear of getting goals and assists all over the place on the left-hand side. I think you at least, I think that move has to be done for two reasons. I think Ellis Harrison, even though personally I prefer Marquis as a striker, Ellis Harrison does cause problems in specific parts. He takes away centre halves and gives it and gives uh, Pompey's wingers a lot more space. He'll be able to hold up the ball all right if that's how Danny Cowley wants to go. Marcus can't do that. It, it's more reliant on service and through balls into space, etc. 
So it will change. It will naturally change the style of play. But I think you've got to send a message that the slightly below par performances aren't good enough. Curtis was benched last week. If you don't bench against OK Dons, excuse me. If you don't bench Marcus for this game, then you're playing favourites. And Gassan, from his performances, even I do, even though in the small glimpses I've seen him in the league where he's played properly up front, not as number 10, he's not number 10. When he's played properly up front, latching onto the last defender, moving around the box, there's something to look for there. But he has but he hasn't put the performances in to justify a start, whereas Ellis Harrison has. I think your point there about there needing to be some sort of competition, Fred, is really pertinent. Um, to sort of is it Blackadder to paraphrase it? It's like a he says life without you is like a broken pencil, pointless. And it's kind of like that, like a striker who doesn't score is like a broken pencil. It's just fairly pointless. And there's got to be some sort of it's not even repercussions because it's not a punishment, but there's got to be some sort of if you don't fulfill your primary job in this team someone else is going to get a chance to. And you've just got to be fairly ruthless with that, I think, at the moment. That's that's from someone who, as I've already said, is like a big advocate for Marquis, and I think he will fire this season. Doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting different results is, you know, potentially just going to end up with the same result of of us not scoring. But that's we're go- Yeah, we're going yeah, on a yeah. lot about who's starting, but it doesn't mean they can't come on later in the game. If Harrison starts against Cambridge and, it, uh, and is clearly off the pace in the first half, then then he can be substituted and Marcus can come back on. It's not a definite thing. It definitely sends a message by starting Harrison against Cambridge. And I do think he's earned it to a certain extent. Alfredo 20 messages in, he says, bring in Jacobs and Gasson, simple as that. The front three clearly doesn't work. Now, I think that's fair enough to say the front three doesn't work because they're not working, they're not scoring. I think that's that's a fair point to make and we all agree with that point. Bringing in Gassan, I mean, I know you spoke about the sort of, you know, Harrison maybe earning a start as such, Freddie, and I, I sort of, I do understand that and agree to a certain point. I think against Cambridge, who, if they do get a goal, will go to potentially, like I did against Bolton, and we come on to talk to Tom about this, go to a sub-30% possession side who will play very tight, play very compact. I think Marquis and Gassan might need a little bit of space in behind to make moves. I think they're going to sit very deep. I think that might actually suit Harrison better, actually, to have a presence up front that would allow us to bring us people into the game further up the pitch. If you sort of have a small striker, a little bit isolated up front, or Marcus, who needs that ball into, into the channels and et cetera, I think they might struggle a bit. As we said before, Harrison definitely takes a, a centre-half away whenever he plays. Usually with his performances, even though I, I haven't rated a lot of them over the years, he at least he at least does that. He's at least a presence and he at least takes a centre-half away and breaks the opposition's defensive line where there's gaps. Ollie Hawkins did that as well and allowed for <laughs> lots of chances for Evans, Lowe, Curtis, etc. That's the benefit of playing Harrison there. The downside is obviously when you play a target man up front, you do go very direct. And if Bots would go too direct against Cambridge and waste all the chances, then we'll call it out next week because that, that could happen. Again, like you said, uh, I don't think I, I had me as struggled. I think he struggled physically with league football so far. His performances haven't been there. They've only been in glimpses. Simply, Harrison's earned it. And I think you have to give him that, I think. Ollie J misses in. He says, shooting practice. Andy's cracked it. DM him right now. Danny Cowley's mobile number. We sorted it out. <laughs> 
Harrison Smith messages in. He says, tough one, this. It's hard to accept. We have two strikers, Marcus and Harrison, that don't seem to fit. Has Harrison done enough to start? Probably. Marcus used nine lives. Probably. Put a Z's in 10. See if he unlocks what's missing in creating chances. You've got to give the young man a start. Obviously, he's come from Arsenal. I think he's got the pedigree to do it. However, he might take a few games to get going. I don't think he's necessarily going to come into the team and bam, everything's sorted. If that happens, great. But at the same time, it's probably going to be a little bit unfair for us to hype him up so much that it gets to the stage where it's sort of a or break as such in that number 10 position. TW meshes in. He says, release harness, drop Marquis, push Curtis up top. Well, that is dramatic. The transfer window is just closed. You want to release Yeah, Marcus that's harness. completely got my head. <laughs> We're not releasing Marcus Harness. <laughs> I, I like him. Russell Hunt meshes in. He says, I think no, I bring... You, mate, you know, he means like release him, like let him do it, like let him run at them, let him have some freedom at them. That's what he, he means. He meant get rid of him. Yeah, that's, that's that. I was joking, but like, yeah, he means like release him, like unleash him. Unleash Harness. All right, yeah, I'm up for that then. I'm yeah. up for unleashing him. What I thought against MK Dons, he did play that one ball through to Marquis that did allow him to get that shot off on goal. That's what we need. Players who can break the line, whether it's being physical, whether it's playing a good pass. We need players who can do that. So yeah, I'm all up for that. Unleash the Harness. Go for it, TW. I'm well up for that. Russell Hunt messages in. He says, I think I'll bring Jacobs in at left midfield and it's easy in at 10 for the creativity. Would push Tony Cliff back to eight where he's more effective. Well, Harness's performance was strange against uh, in the last game. Again, he put through that lovely ball to Marquis, created that chance. His, ga- his game has been off, suffice it to say. Same with Curtis. Curtis's game has been off as well. And Hackett Fairchild, I don't think, has done enough. So you have to think if, if Jacobs is fit, again, you might you might give him a chance. And considering it's early in the season, where there's no real, there, there shouldn't be a set eleven yet. But this is entirely new side, new manager, new philosophy. There shouldn't that you can have an idea of a set eleven, but you should be able to change it at will depending on performances at the moment. Anyway, we can go over set side later in the year. If Jacobs is fit, then I think personally you should play left wing with. Aziz in the middle and then you can choose between Harness or Hacking Fairchild on the right wing depending on your personal preference I think I'd stick with Marcus Harness personally because um, Hacking Fairchild would be switching onto his left foot on that side more all the time but, but again the score's very flexible you can change it during the game in a different way where Harrison has earned the start Jacob's could start by default because the other the other players who have played in the left wing ha- haven't done enough. Do you think it's unlikely because he played in the Hampshire Cup on Tuesday? That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, I think potentially just fitness. Yeah, because um, he hasn't played that much at all. Um, and Gassan played that game as well. And since he struggled physically in the league, he probably won't play either. And Ogilvy, and Ogilvy. Well, again, Browns. A Browns outperformed him, I think, at left back. Well, so. Ogilvy hasn't really played at left back, has he? He's played everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Connell messages in. He says, I think I think we've been quite flat playing Williams, Morel, and Tony Cliff in the midfield for the past two games. I'm in favour of dropping Morel and maybe bringing in a season to centre midfield. Also, what do you boys think of going 4 4 2 with Ellis and John up top? Curtis and Harness on the wing. I can tell you now, Connell, before I read the rest of it, that I just don't think that. 
Ellis Harrison and John Marcus can play up front together. They don't work. They, they don't seem to know where each other are running. They don't have that chemistry. The style of the two players, really, for me, anyway, it just doesn't work up front. And if you want to play two up top, I think you've got to look to play one of the other strikers um, up front with them. Their time playing up front together, I agree, has been a bit of a train wreck for the most part. But that was under Kenny Jacket. So do you think, Hugh, that potentially under new management, under a system that we've already said generally looks a lot more choreographed than it did under Kenny Jacket, do you not give that a chance with think, sort of new input? I think potentially if, and this is speaking very theoretically because obviously I've not seen it happen at all, but in a system where Ellis Harrison's the player that comes short to collect the ball or to flick it on, and if Marcus can stay on the shoulder of the attackers and not be dragged into the sort of the deeper play that he seems to be coming to try and collect the ball, then potentially it could work. I don't see why it, why it can't. But both of them seem to fight for possession coming to get the ball when I've seen them play together. So both of them are sort of coming to give that option when actually you need a player who's going to play on the shoulder and someone else to come and collect the ball or even interchange, but have that understanding of who's doing what on the pitch. And when Marcus and Harrison seem to play together, they both seem to be coming to the ball the whole time. And that's why they're so ineffective, in my opinion. I think the service will be better for them under a Danny Kelly system because it won't just be either aerial balls to LA in the central area or aerial balls to the wing to be flicked on into the centre. There'll be a mix of ground passing and through passing, which I think will be better. The problem is with that pair, whenever I've seen them, the movement off the ball for for, for each other with those two people isn't very good at all. They get in each other's way. They're both going for the ball. Like you said, Hugh, in a, in a, preferably in a pair, one striker should go for the ball. The other should should hang on to the last defender, move into space, etc. That creates that balance. I haven't seen that from that pair at all over a long time. And I think even though the service will be better for them, I just don't see it. I don't see it at all. Greg messages in. He's a start Harrison and Marcus in a 4-4-2. We're at home. Again, as Dan messages on later, he says no, no mobility when those two play up top together. I think we covered that, but cheers message again. Let's move on. Forgotten Pompey Gold messages in. He says, Jacket's not here anymore and still being stung by him. The link up with Curtis, Marcus and Harness hasn't worked for two years now. We need a striker to sign in January and big attacking change next summer. Need more from Gassan and Hurst as well. How is Jacobs not in the squad? I think we all know we need another striker at the moment. We're all looking around that. We did. We knew that before the transfer window closed. But we can't sit around and wait till January to hope we get a striker who can turn that round. We've got to find a solution with the players we've got here. There's got to be a combination here of players that can score goals. There's lots of teams in the league who manage to score goals with a lot less attacking players. And I'm not saying strikers, but also wingers, you know, people going forward. So, yeah, I don't know. I'll fire it over to you, Andy. Thanks, mate. Yeah, can't answer it yourself, so send a hospital pass across to me. Exactly. <laughs> Go on, Andy. Come on, mate. Save Appreciate the day. Um, I kind of, I, I disagree a bit with, I saw that Tom Carter replied to that and said that he disagreed and said, Curtis has done a great job for us. Even Marquis has done okay and Harness is a good player. I agree with that sentiment. I think... We, I agree that we're being stung by Jacket to a certain extent in terms of his acquisitions maybe reverting to type or reverting to comfort zone when things, when there's some adversity. So you go back to what's familiar, don't you? And they've got however many years of 
jacket style football ingrained into them and it's going to take a bit of time for the Cowleys to undo the damage that's been done there maybe that's a little bit harsh but I say it how I see it and those those players have have done it before I mean I swear a couple of years ago we were talking about or maybe, maybe it was last year at one point we were talking about how Pompey were among the highest scorers in the league and it was that front line they can do it at this level it's just not happening at the moment I mean I agree obviously it would be nice to bring in a a, you know, a goal scorer in January but who's to th- say that that's definitely going to happen you've got to find a goal scorer first before you can sign him like just bringing in someone who is unproven isn't necessarily going to lead to success we've we've tried that multiple times we're trying it at the moment hopefully it will work with someone like Hurst and maybe it won't we'll see but until we get to January as you said we can't just sit around on our toes and try and eke out draws and the occasional one goal win here and there and the players we've got have proven that they can do it before. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough one. I, it'll be nice to see a had-me given time up top, I think. I agree with Fred that, I think it was Fred that said he doesn't look like a natural 10 at all. It'll be nice to see him given that opportunity. I don't think we're going to see the best of him until we do that. Same for Hurst. It's going to just take some game time and hopefully they click. But I think, especially at Fratton Park, I do think the crowd's got a bit of a responsibility there, especially you know with these younger players, especially Hurst, who's potentially coming into the team after a couple of low confidence spells at other clubs. I think it's our responsibility to be slightly patient and not do what we do sometimes, which is get frustrated and it being audible and it being extremely obvious in terms of the feel of the ground. Because I think that's the only way that this is going to get turned around in front in terms of goal scoring. Because if we if we can't break this duck, shooting towards the Fratton end in a full stadium for the you know only the what the third third league home game in well since one or two at Christmas and before that nine months. If we can't break the duck shooting towards the Fratton end, then then when are we going to? You know, they're not there's not going to be a more holistically right situation for that to take place. So, yeah, I think the, the crowd's got a part to play in that this weekend. If you've got any her songs which could be sent in, dear Mandy, he's up for it. Get the crowd going. Get some uh, George Hurst still songs going. I mean, there must have been some for Jeff Hurst in 1966. Just, just use the same songs. Google it. Google it. Let's get this going. <laughs> Let's get this going. No, I do agree. Cambridge just shit five against Lincoln as well. So you've got to think that we can get one in this game at least, right? We, I mean, we're going to we'll come on to our score predictions in a bit, but all right, let's move on to the next bit. So talking about Cambridge, we spoke to Tom from the Under the Abbey Stand podcast. It is a Cambridge podcast. Welcomed him to the new to the league, found out what their expectations were this season, where they're strong, etc. All the usual malarkey. Also chatted about a good place to go for a pint in Cambridge if you're interested. So here's our interview with Tom from Under the Abbey Stand podcast. All right, I'm here with Tom from the Under the Abbey Stand podcast. And Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Hugh. Returning the favour. You Kevin R, so come on yours. Yeah, no, it's great chatting to you guys. I was chatting on, on your podcast and actually just saying that I actually was one of the weird people who had a bet on you to go up last season. I think I put it on in October, to be fair, so not completely not completely the start of the season, but pretty happy with the returns that one would have got me if Swansea had managed to scrape through my accumulator, unfortunately didn't go up. So, um, Yeah, anyway, I'm big on supporting the Cambridge for that reason. So I was saying on your podcast, Tom, that I've uh, got you finishing fifth from bottom this season. 
<laughs> That'll do nicely. We'll take that, I think. As long as it's not in the bottom four, I think we're uh, I think we're more than happy to be honest. Well, let's let's go with that segue and let's start saying that how did you guys feel? So you've been promoting the season. What's the feeling around the club at Cambridge? You know, what are the expectations? Are the expectations that you will stay up this season? Or is it a case of do your best and see what happens? Yeah, I think it's very much that. I think um there isn't really an expectation as such. I think um, you know, you can go back to last season. I think the expectation from last season was probably that we would um, probably be around mid-table in League Two and it all sort of came together that, you know, we, did, we obviously did end up getting promoted and I think there's probably elements of our fan base who have maybe taken a step a step too far in some respects, we, you know, maybe a little bit out of our depth, but, um, you know, barring, a, a, we got absolutely thumped by Lincoln at the weekend, um, who are obviously a, you know, a good team at this level, but um, aside from that, I think we've actually competed pretty well. So I think the hope now is that, you know, we can survive basically, but the expectation realistically is that it's going to be, you know, for, for most of the season, unless we really do, um, sort of outperform our, our, our sort of expectations a little bit is that we'll be in in probably a bit of a battle um, to obviously survive um, for, for obviously long parts of the year. So um, I think I, I think overall it's been okay. I was, I was saying just before we, just, you know just before we started that um, I think probably so far this season, barring that one result of the weekend, we competed probably a little better than I thought we would. I thought it would take maybe a few weeks to get up to speed, but we beat Bolton, who are a good team at this level, and had a good result against Burton, who obviously for the last well, I guess this calendar year, obviously we're doing very well as well. So good signs, but um, yeah, I think we're realistic that it's, it, you know, it could be a tough year. I think if at the start of the season we'd said to you after six games, you'd be above Charlton, Ipswich and Doncaster, that would be something that most teams would sort of snap your hand off for. What have the fixtures been like so far in terms of difficulty? Pompey on paper have had not the most difficult start to the season. Who have you played so far? Who have you got in the coming weeks after Pompey? Has it just been like quite easy on paper, or have you played a lot of the top teams? It's been a real, it's been a really mixed bunch. I think um, we started against Oxford, who uh, I think probably on paper has maybe been our toughest game. Uh, maybe Lincoln, who we've just played as well. Um, obviously Bolton, we came up with, but um, you know, realistically, they'll, they'll have different expectations to us. We know that they've got some good players. Um, Burton, like I said, you know, they've, they've, they've obviously done. Um, extraordinarily well I think since Hasselbank went back there so they're, they're, they're clearly a tough test but I don't think they're quite in the calibre of maybe Lincoln and, and sort of Oxford um, so maybe more of like a mid-table team then we played Plymouth earlier in the year who, who, who I guess maybe we, we might expect to, to sort of be competing against for survival so it's been a really mixed bag to be honest um, I think coming up um, is where we're really going to see how likely it is that we survive. We play Fleetwood and I think Gillingham, who, who again, probably we expect to be competing against this season for survival. So, so far it's been a bit of a mixed bag, but I think the next sort of two or three weeks will really tell us a bit more about sort of where we are in this division because, you know, so far we're pretty much planted right in the middle of the league, um, which, you know, we'd really like to stay at. Um, but, you know, if we struggle maybe against some of those sort of lesser teams, then um, maybe that tells us that uh, it might be a bit tougher than it has been so far. But um, yeah, I think overall we're pretty happy with what we've seen, just hoping for a bit more of the same, really. So my concern for Cambridge coming into the season was you obviously you lost Paul Mullin to the Man City of Wales, Wrexham, and then you go on to try and see who you can replace him. I was thinking, who, who's going to score the goals for you this season? Who's going to replace the, you know, the goal rate you had it there from League Two? Looking at Joe Ironside, he's playing up front for you this season. He's already got four goals uh, this season. He's good in the air. He can flick it on as well as scoring. Is that been a, an upgrade or is it someone that you expect to be able to score you know, 15 goals at this level? 
Yeah, well, I mean, we we um, Ironside played for us last season as well. It was his first season in, and he um, he he was actually central to what Mullen did. To be honest, last season they played up front together, um, and Ironside's very much more of the sort of target man who will take the hits for for sort of whoever's playing alongside him, or as it's been this season, the sort of midfielders that that that, that sort of sit just off him. Um, he scored, you know, a decent amount last year. I think he scored fourteen or fifteen goals last season, but it was obviously completely. Um, you know, overshadowed by what Mullen did, which was frankly ridiculous, to be honest. Um, but yeah, again, you know, a, 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 a bit like the rest of the team, he, he he's one that stepped up, I think, a bit better than I thought he would. A couple of those goals have been penalties, you know, granted, but he's, you know, he's getting in the right areas. He's got a good goal um, against Lincoln um, at the weekend and um, scored a decent goal away at Accrington as well. So he's looking like he can step up and at least take some of that responsibility. Um, I think, you know, he's on course to score what probably another 15, 20, you know, already um, this season, which I think he'd be really happy with and certainly would be, you know, really good for us. Um, it's probably a bit of a concern amongst our fan base, though, in terms of the, you know, sort of where are the goals coming from. Um, clearly, when you lose a striker that scored um, 32 in the league and 34 overall and sort of broken records, you know, club records that have stood for sort of 30 or 40 years, that's, that's, that's always going to be a concern for us. And, the the honest truth is that we we haven't really replaced Paul Mullin at all. Um, we brought in Sam Smith, who 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 played for us previously on loan, and, and was with Cheltenham, who obviously won the league uh, League Two last season, but has never really had a great goal scoring record overall. So the the honest, the, you know, in all honesty, we 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 haven't replaced Paul Mullin. I think we're just hoping that Ironside can continue from what has been a good season last year, step up a level, maybe just take some of that responsibility. But realistically, the onus falls on to you know, our best player wears Ulan to, to to basically create chances for other players. It's one thing that our manager, Mark Bonner, has been very clear about in, in the sort of run-up to the season is that he wants the goals to be spread around a little bit more. Um, you know, we don't want to be relying on one on one sort of talisman um, sort of create or sort of score goals. It really needs to be a bit more of a collective effort. So that's hopefully what we're going to see. Um, but yeah, sure, you know, it's, it, you know for any team, um, it's obviously a big blow to lose someone like that. Tom, before we move on to sort of the key players that Pompey are going to, going to come up against this weekend. I think as Pompey fans, it's quite easy for us sometimes sort of not to be able to see the wood for the trees and we get very, very invested in sort of Pompey from a really close view up. Like from a, another club's point of view in the league, you mentioned there you've got key games coming up that are going to tell you where you should be expecting to finish this season. What is that perception of Pompey from the outside as a Cambridge fan? Where do you place Portsmouth? And that's not sort of a sort of a, a little... What's the word? Like a little... Um, Hugh, you're going to have to edit this question. Great That's question. Not, thanks, mate. It's not like <laughs> a little nugget for you to sort of say nice things about Pompey, but uh, quite the opposite, maybe. What is the perception of Pompey from the outside at the moment? I think it's... <laughs> we were actually looking at the record that we've got um, against Pompey sort of the weekend. And clearly, our perception of Pompey is that it's a team that, you know, kind of always beat us. Um, I think we played like 18 games over the last few years and that you've beaten us 17 times out of those. So um, we see it as a difficult game, um, as it kind of always is. But I think most generally in terms of the league, um, uh, you know, as a team that um, are probably going to be up there. And, you know, we would see um, probably going away to Fratton Park as, as a bit of a free hit almost. Um, you know, clearly we're going to, obviously go there and try and get something and win the game of course but um, I think we're realistic that if we go there and get a point that's a very very good result for us and I, you know I, I don't have you know as in-depth the knowledge as League One uh, as obviously you guys might have been in the division a few years longer but if, if I look at the teams and the sort of squads on paper I would guess that you'd probably be in and around the top six um, in you know in 
in, in the league and, and maybe if everything goes well could push on for, you know even a bit further so yeah definitely a tough afternoon for us and you know it's, it's, you know for us it's, it's obviously always enjoyable to go to a ground like Fratton Bark in front of um, bigger crowds than we've been used to and um, hopefully a good atmosphere Tom, just to let you know, someone's stolen your bicycle from off your wall in case you didn't realise that in the background. I just thought since you said that we could be around the top six, I thought it would be nice to let you know that someone's taken your bike off a wall and walked out a door behind you. <laughs> yeah, that's a flatmate. Uh, just come downstairs, I think he just popped out. But um, yeah, right, cheers then. for that. <laughs> no robbery going on there. Um, yeah, so getting back, getting back to the football, just generally, um, you've got Tracy plays on the right side is that right if you play a sort of a 4-2-3-1 he's quite he's quite attacking isn't he he's quite skillful he didn't really work out too much at, at Shrewsbury but is he a player that we think you think could maybe run at us give us a couple of problems um, and then the second part of the question really is played a 4-4-2 which didn't really work too well against Lincoln do you think coming away to Fratton Park you're going to set up a little bit more compact a bit more of a, a 4-2-3-1 and maybe sit, sit a little bit further in rather than let us play a bit more like you did against Lincoln yeah Tracy's um, again one that was with us last year he, he signed on loan in January and in, in in many ways, he's kind of a typical winger at this level, or, or, or potentially the one below, which is he's very very good at everything sort of leading up to the last bit. You know, obviously with his end product, um, he scored a goal. He scored a goal, the winner against Bolton actually. Yep. So you know, maybe maybe goes against that a little bit. But I think in the main, um, he's one that can flatter to deceive a little bit. There's been a lot of conversation around um, Tracy in that. Um, he doesn't offer too much protection to the fullback, and um, that's basically where you know a lot of Lincoln's goals came from, which, which I'll come on to in the second part of the question. But he's one that I think we're reasonably excited about. You know, when people sort of come from um, the academies of Premier League clubs, you know, it's, it obviously suggests that they've got at least a bit of pedigree, you know, a bit of quality about them. And he's certainly shown that in flashes, and he's still quite young, so there's still development to go. And I think just because you know players don't make it in the sort of first loan spell, um, it's clearly not an indication that they've got you know no chance to make it in, in sort of the rest of their career. So certainly someone that I think we're fairly hopeful about and he, he's certainly got potential to you know, be really sort of effective at this level if he can just fine-tune a little bit of that sort of end product. Um, with regards to the last part, I'd, I'd be astounded if we if we come to Fratton Park and play 4-4-2 again. Um, to be honest, I was surprised that we played it against Lincoln because that's another thing that our manager's been quite clear about in um, in uh, certainly in pre-season and, and sort of in the early weeks as well, which is that because we played four 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 two or sort of a diamond for long spells last season, and he, you know, his, his sort of message was that we're going to have to adjust the, to the level we're at, and the way we're going to probably do that is by dropping a strike and having having an extra body in midfield to give us a bit more solidity. I think in the middle of the park, we probably don't have quite enough quality to play with just a two, uh, which is where that extra man really helps. So I think that's probably the way that we'll line up. It gives us a bit more solidity, and ultimately the game plan for us. It's going to be pretty. It's going to be pretty simple. We're going to have to come and really, basically, spoil the afternoon, kind of spoil the game, and just see if we can kind of scrape a point out of it. Um, and realistically, that's probably going to be the best way to do it. Tracy sounds a bit like sort of a Ryan Williams kind of player here, where you have that a lot of work ethic, but then the reputation for not quite having the end product there. Yeah, there's quite. We've got quite a few players at the moment there. Yeah, did do well <laughs> not. We could make an 11 out of them, I think, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah it's not mad. <laughs> Tom, you said there that potentially they're quite dangerous you're, or you're quite dangerous going forward on the wings, but maybe exposes the fullbacks a little bit when you play certain formations. I was going to ask you where you thought your side was strongest and potentially where you were weakest, but is that potentially the same position then, if you're most threatening there, but also most vulnerable in the same same areas? 
Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's 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 basically that. To be honest, I think we're you know, we're going to be quite a good team on the counter attack. Um, it's basically the way that we're going to set up this season. We do have the players to help do it. Um, we've got Sheila Tracy, who we just talked about there. Um, we've got James Brophy, who carries the ball very well. Um, who plays on the other side. And you know, in the middle of those two, we normally have Wes Houlihan, who's obviously got the ability to hopefully sort of pick out passes to really sort of cut through teams. Um, but yeah, it, we're mainly vulnerable in those positions when we play with 4-4-2. We've actually been very, very solid when we played um, with 4-2-3-1. And we tend to limit teams to not too many chances when we play like that. So if, if we come and line up as you know as we expect, then maybe we won't be so, so vulnerable. I feel like we, we have good fullbacks, but sometimes they're kind of a victim of the system in that, they just don't have that protection because of firstly the quality of our central midfielders, but also the fact that the the the, the wingers that play in front of them maybe don't offer them quite enough. Um, I would say that probably that that that's the area that's maybe worrying people most at the moment. I'd, I'd also probably say an area of strength is is, is central defence actually because we've got Lloyd Jones who's played at this level before quite a lot. We've got Connor Masterson on loan from QPR who, who I think will probably be the two that we line up with on Saturday who have just shown that they're a really, really capable partnership at this level already and probably in terms of the level that they're at, maybe just a little bit higher than us. Not saying that they would be um, you know, starters at like a championship club, like a top-end League One team, but they're certainly very comfortable at this level. And um, you know, if we're going to sort of play with the way that we expect and, and you know, the sort of season we think we're going to be in for, that's, that, that's obviously going to be crucial. So I'd probably say central defence is a real area of strength. Uh, fullbacks may be a bit weak and um, hopefully, we'll be able to, hopefully we'll be able to hurt teams on the counter. So Wes Houlihan obviously got three assists. He's the only player with more than one assist, according to the quick data I had a look at before the game, uh, before the interview even. When you play 4-4-2, does Houlihan have to play further out wide? I can't imagine him being having the mobility maybe to play as a central midfielder in that system. So having that extra body in the middle, I guess, allows Houlihan to play the free role in the middle, which probably makes you a lot more dangerous as well as being more compact. Yeah, that's exactly it. He's been, um, when it's been a 4-4-2, he's been... Um, normally playing in, in one of those sort of wide positions. Um, I mean, to be honest, he tends to roam quite a lot from that, which is another reason why maybe we look a little bit vulnerable defensively. But yeah, I mean, the four, the the, the four two three one allows him to get into his best position, which is just behind the striker. And when he plays there, I mean, he was by a long, long way the best player in League Two last season in terms of ability and probably in terms of pure ability alone, he's going to be one of the best players in League One this season, I would think. Weirdly, for a 39-year-old, his, his fitness and mobility is actually really, really good. We've managed him so well, to be fair, or, or Mark Bonner's managed him so well. He doesn't play on Tuesdays, so any midweek game, we we, we don't play Houlihan, keep him fresh for the Saturdays. And that's just worked so well. It just seems to ensure he's always at 100%. And if if we can get him into his best positions or get him on the ball, that's, that, that's where we're going to have real chances in games. Lincoln really sort of nullified him quite a lot. And that obviously it just takes us all edge away from our game plan because realistically we don't have any other players with that ability. So yeah, I'd expect him to be in the middle on Saturday and, and, and realistically that's probably where he's going to make the most damage, I think. In terms of the style of play that we're likely to come up against, you mentioned there that potentially a compact sort of maybe a 4-2-3-1 is likely. I was just looking at the stats from some of your games this season in the league in terms of possession and the one real standout in, of it not being sort of anywhere near 50-50 is actually your win against Bolton. And I don't know what the game was like. Obviously, I didn't watch it. I'm not quite that much of a League One geek. But 26% possession in a 1-0 win is fairly unusual. Um, other games that the scoreline would suggest you've competed a bit less in, you've potentially had the majority of possession. So against, um, 
I think it was against against Lincoln, for example, obviously a 5-1 defeat, but almost 50% possession. Is there a link there, you think, between how the team lines up and whether or not you're likely to try and keep hold of the ball or whether you're going to sit back, let Pompey, in this case, have the vast majority of the possession and just sort of say, go on then, do something with it, which is where Pompey have been struggling recently to sort of make those magic moments and create something out of nothing. I think you're exactly right, to be honest. I mean, it's probably a little bit early in the season to draw kind of too many conclusions out of it. But the game against Bolton was kind of exactly what, you know, kind of what you described there. We set up in a very, very obvious way. Uh, we got a, you know, we got a goal early on because of the way that we played and the system and and, and sort of how how compact we were. It forced them to go out wide rather than rather than through us. And ultimately meant that they just had to cross balls into the box. And I mentioned the two centre halves that, that we've got everything was basically just headed straight away for the possession they had that actually created very very few chances I think they had I think our keeper made one save in the whole game so when we play like that it's not a case that we're just getting battered constantly and we're coming out of these games sort of lucky on the other end of it we're actually defending very very well and if we sort of go and try and match up the better teams in this division that's probably where we're going to come unstuck a little bit which is why it was a surprise to see us line up in the way that we did last week and probably why the result ended up so um, so convincingly in Lincoln's favour. So, yeah, I think um, I think in terms of the style of play you can expect to see, it's probably going to be a little bit more like the Bolton game rather than the Lincoln game, or certainly from certainly from my perspective and a lot of our fans' perspective, we hope so, because otherwise um, it could be quite an easy afternoon for you guys. Yeah, I think that's pretty well reflected. Again, looking at the Bolton game, you say that it wasn't sort of a battering well, yeah, Bolton had 13 shots, only one of them on target. So that kind of supports your point there. That wasn't exactly, you know, backs against the wall. It was fairly controlled, sort of playing non-possession football, which, again, is something that maybe Pompey is struggling with a little bit at the moment, especially in the last league game, Hugh. What do you mean by that, mate? Game breakers. We're a team of game breakers, aren't we? Yeah, well, they're breaking <laughs> breaking a few things at the moment, but it's not really <laughs> no many goal- games. No goals in three league games. No goals in four games, if you consider the Basingstoke draw. In the Hampshire Cup? If you're considering the Basingstoke game, you've got to consider the 5-3. Surely you can't just pick and choose cup games with second eleven. I can pick and choose wherever I fuck I want, Andy. All right, in which case, let's just slam them for drawing with Basingstoke Town with, what, three first-teamers, borderline first-teamers. What are we doing? What are we playing at? Anyway, um, Tom, just an interesting one, quickly, before we get to score predictions. I've never been to Cambridge for a footy game, and if I do go, where's the best place to go for a pint? Uh, We always go to a pub called The Doblers, which is... Sort of in the back streets, just um, uh, just behind. Well, it's, it's just off Mill Road, which is kind of um, the main sort of um, road near the station. So that's 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 normally where we go. There's not a huge amount around the ground, to be honest. It's a little way out of town. Um, so that's 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 normally where we go. Um, but it does tend to be full mainly of home fans. But um, yeah, you're more than welcome to try your luck and see if you can get in. Just won't wear my Pompey shirt. I'll just roll up and just wear wearing a normal T-shirt or one of those Cambridge University hoodies or something to try. Yeah, that's right. fit in. We've all met you. You're going to turn up full kit wanker in the Pompey training gear. We know it. That's so, you're not the sort of person who tries to hide in plain sight like that. That's it. Pompey tracksuit, hat, <laughs> all the gear. Why not? Tony Pulis, but in Portsmouth gear. I can see that. That's me. <laughs> Talk about Tony Pulis. No, actually, no, let's not go into that. All right, let's get to school predictions. Tom. I want to know your score prediction for the game against uh, us and also want to know your goal scorers if you think Cambridge is going to score. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's going to be 2-1 to Pompey. Um, and I'll tell you exactly how the game is going to go. It will go the same way that it's gone in the last three times we've played you since we got back to the league, which is that you'll go 2-0 up. We'll get a, a sort of consolation goal later on and really 
fail to affect the game in any sort of meaningful way after that to get an equaliser. So um, I think we'll score, but I think we'll lose 2-1. Um, and yeah, we mentioned him earlier on, but I'll probably go with Joe Ironside to get the goal because he's, uh, he's on good form. Nice one. I like that. Well, I would definitely take that. Two goals in a game. Ooh, getting excited just thinking about it. Tom, are you coming down to the game? Yeah, I'm indeed looking forward to it. Um, yeah, always a, always a good day out. And uh, yeah, yeah, like I say, looking forward to the trip. Sweet. We're looking forward to hurling abuse at you from directly opposite. <laughs> or if you want to come and throw abuse at Andy in person, we'll be in the Tap Brewery pub, which is near the ground. Um, I think, I think to be honest, if we're going to be throwing abuse at anyone in that stand, it'd probably be with the guy with the bell, to be honest. Um, it never yeah, stops, does it? That. <laughs> like that. Yeah, definitely. Tom, cheers for coming on the show. It's been much appreciated, mate. Yeah, uh, no problem at all, guys. Thanks good so luck for the me. rest. Good luck for the rest of the season. Um, and yeah, Andy will buy you a pint if you pop down to the pub on Saturday. <laughs> we'll do. I look forward to that. We'll have a good one, guys. We'll perhaps see you on Saturday. And uh, well, I, I would say good luck for Saturday, but obviously just for the season after that. Nice one. Cheers, Tom. Cheers, no man. problem at all, guys. Have a good Thanks for coming on the podcast, Tom. It was great to speak to them. I mean, I went on their podcast as well admittedly a week early because one of the guys there had to go to a wedding so it was before the MK Dons game so if you want to check it out on that please do bear in mind that was before the game but yeah I mean this this team has to be there for the taking and yes they are going to play a more compact system they they came out and played a 4-4-2 against Lincoln and it, it backfired massively whereas Houlihan having to play out wide really rather than having that freedom to roam inside and then when he does come inside Lincoln managed to expose them down the insides of the flanks because there wasn't a player there could help track back, which was mentioned. They're not going to play that against us again. They're not going to do that. They're going to come against us, as Tom mentioned, play a lot more compact, more like they did when they played against Bolton, got that 1-0 win. I think it was 27%. I can't remember now, but it was sub 30% possession in that game. But they limited chances quite a lot. So although Bolton had a lot of the ball, they didn't have as many chances to convert. So this is really going to be down to Pompey, in my opinion. Can we find a way to unlock Cambridge, a team who've just had five shipped against them, a team that could be a little bit suspect on confidence there, get an early goal, and I think we could score more. We could see a few go in. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a very pretty spectacle. That's my gut instinct. As you said, they, they're not, well, they're probably not going to make the same mistake twice. And it's unusual you see a team concede a load of goals two games consecutively unless there's a real golf in class like in a two-legged cup game early rounds or something along those lines so I'd imagine they're going to come as you say fairly compact and it's going to be fairly tough to break down it's going to be fairly frustrating and I, I think we're going to have to be patient unless we score that early goal you mentioned there if we do then fantastic it's a completely different ball game literally but if we don't score an early goal I think it's going to be quite attritional it's going to be quite we're going to be quite reliant on central midfielders and you know trying to create something through the centre of the park essentially I I don't know I just think it's going to be a bit of a bit of a grind for the 90 minutes personally and I'm hoping that by me saying there's I don't think there's going to be more than one goal in it I'm hopeful that because we've been terrible at predictions this year that means it's going to be a 4-0 win that's the that's the hope Freddie what are your feelings on this Cambridge game Again, a different challenge because I don't think Poppy have played anybody any side yet where they're going to go fully defensive. I think they will do in this game, especially at Fratton Park and go on the break. The pressure of that home game, considering Poppy's goalless run now, 
It's going to grow and grow and grow every every single minute when it's real without a goal. The fans will get the fans will be behind them, obviously, but there'll be an air of frustration there, and that and there's a worry it'll get on top of the players, especially if, for example, it goes into if it's the first half and it goes into halftime one nil or nil nil again behind. It's going to be very rough. The, the difference this time is Pompey, I think, can play the ball through the middle of the pitch semi-effectively. We've seen it in certain games. Most, uh, For example, that Marcus chance that you mentioned earlier with Harris, uh, with Harness's through ball, that wouldn't have happened under the previous regime because that, that pass wouldn't have been played in the first place. So there, there is that, that little air of hope and depending on the substitutions, that might um, change things a little bit. But then again, the, la- the last team that Pompey played against where the defence was quite compact was against Wigan where they packed the penalty area and Pompey struggled against that a fair bit. They just have to be ruthless and not afraid to make those passes to try and split the defensive line. They can't hang on to the ball. Because the longer you hang on to the ball against a third of defence like that, the easier it is for them to get into their defensive shape, into into their comfort shape, and then they can reduce chances and so on. They just have to be as basically basically mentally strong. Where if something doesn't work, it doesn't get on top of them. And it seems that 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 I think that's one of the major issues so far, in my opinion. And we've seen it in several of the other games where something goes wrong, and then there's a period where there's a just a complete drop in performance compared to what the fans expect. So it'd be a rough one. I do think Pompey can edge it purely in terms of quality of players overall. One thing I didn't bring up actually, I was going to bring up in the last segment, but it's completely relevant to this game, is that when Pompey needed a goal in the past, we're always good for a set-piece goal, a goal from a corner, a goal from a, from, you know, a header, Raggett, whoever... We seem to be that that sort of goal threat doesn't seem to be there at this moment in time as well. Do you think that set play goals, Andy, could be something that could get our duck off? You know, the strikers are all not misfiring or whatever, but is it a lot easier if suddenly we get a corner in the you know half an hour into the game and Raggett heads it home and then suddenly Cambridge have to come out and then the attacking players get more space? Is that something that you think should happen and why isn't it? It's funny you should say that because that was exactly my thought process just before our corner that we conceded from against MK Dons. But um, yeah, I think all, all it takes is one, you know, big Sean Raggett header or even in off Sean Raggett's arse three yards out. I don't actually care at this point, but it, psychologically, it could be quite a nice way to break the duck because eventually, you know, the ball's got to, the ball's got to find its way in. It's these. You know, if we're looking at XG for Pompey's last games, uh, sort of last three games cumulatively, I don't know how you do that, Fred. How you bring the X? Actually, I probably do know how you do it, but I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to do it live. But if you sort of accumulated those three XGs and say, you know, what are the odds of Pompey scoring over none of those three games? It would be fairly, fairly slim. And yeah, I think it could be a case that once that duck is broken from a set piece that just breaks nicely for one of the centre-backs to lash it in from a yard out, it could be quite a nice psychological break for the rest of the team, take the pressure off, etc. It's easier said than done, isn't it? Or Lee Brown 45-yard volley. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say yeah. something inappropriate to that as to how I'd react, but yeah, I, I won't go down that route. <laughs> 
Not after the uh, the comments at the end of the last podcast, Andy. Yeah, maybe we don't go down the degenerate route this week, just for a little change. All right, let's get to the meaty bit, because we've been going for a while now. Freddie, what is your score prediction for the game against Cambridge? Low scoring, but it's back in front of, in front of Fram Park in a full crowd. I think it'd be one mil Pompey. They'll break their duck. They'll get a semi-ugly win and then they'll move on from there and play much better and they'll play like the Portsmouth we know they can be. And then we'll win every game ever. And I mean, I wouldn't go that far, it. but it, you know what I mean. You're so negative, Fred. Um, Hugh, I was going to go for a 1-0 as well. I know. Obviously... I saw your face, saw the look across your face when Freddie uttered the words 1-0. Oh, it, was, it was easier when he wasn't here, wasn't it, earlier in the pod? Uh, yeah. I... <sighs> I was going to go 1-0 Pompey, but as a result, I will go 2-0 Pompey where we score partway through the game. Cambridge stay mostly compact throughout the game and then we score a second one late on when they're forced to try and open the game up a little bit. I just I just don't think we need to panic, to be honest, lads, uh, because it's early in the season and I was looking at the uh, I was looking at old league tables because I'm so cool like that with my evenings when I finish work at different times in the season. And I think it was last, well, it was last year, Bolton were 15th at Christmas and ended up going up. So let's just, there's a lot of hyperbole being thrown around. There always is. I know that's football, but let's just stay pretty grounded. It's not been a bad start to the season. I'd still take this league table from the start of this. Like if you'd offered it to me at the start of the season, I'd still take it at this point. Fred's looking a bit less convinced, but we've, we've got time. It's a long season. Hugh, what are your predictions for the game? I'm going to go 2-1. Um, I'm going to agree with Tom on this one. I think I think we'll get two goals and I think we could potentially concede one. I know we haven't only conceded two in the league this season, but I think this is going to be a hard-fought win either way. Cambridge, quite good in the air. I know we can battle off it. There's no real logic to this argument, if I'm honest. I, I've just got a feeling it's going to be a 2-1, a 2-1 Pompey win. Get back to basics, get get a couple of goals um, and, and let's see this game out. Whether it's a 2-1, 2-0, 1-0, I don't really care really. Let's just score a couple of goals and get a win. Who are we feeling is going to score the goals then? Fred, who's going to grab your goal? Art Robertson from a corner. But like Andy said, the small sample size does lead to a lot of bigger uh, bigger overblown arguments in terms of which players are good, which players are bad. It's something that we've barely seen. Uh, but I think some of the performances haven't been good enough, even though it's a small sample size. So I'm taking a balanced approach for it where some of the arguments are justified, in my opinion. But I still think we do need to see some more games to have a fuller picture than we have now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to go with a ragged goal to start, as I just mentioned, hopefully break that duck off our back. And then we'll go for one chipped in by I don't even know who's going to start who's going to start let's be honest let's back harness let's back harness like we our pal we James you, we, we did say we were back harness to James didn't we on uh, the buy me a coffee site yeah okay I'll go harness yeah just like James so I'll go with Raggett and harness to get the second one just like James from Texas who also thinks that's the right way forward I'd like to know by the way James and buy me a coffee you mentioned you're from Texas where in Texas it's a big place I'm just interested no real reason apart from that Andy, who's your goal scorer? I am also going to back Harness to score one in a show of coffee solidarity. And 
I think Aziz is going to get some minutes and score second half, fratten end, limbs, new saviour for, you know, gets toted as, uh, I don't know what you're doing, Fred. I don't know what that is. Oh, that's Fred's dancing. Good grief. Haven't seen that for a while. You've seen that on a night out, mate. I'm surprised you didn't recognise it. To be fair, there was more enthusiasm in that than there is in most times I've seen Fred in a bar. But uh, it's a good move, Fred. Wow. <laughs> wow. Anyway, anyway, in upslating <laughs> Fred's dance moves, they are pretty much as the listeners would imagine them to be, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, Aziz will score on debut in front of the Fratton end. That's, that's the prediction. Quietly confident, lads. Quietly confident. All right, that's the predictions done. Nice one. All we want is Pompey to win. You don't care what the score is. Just get us a goal. Get us a good performance. Get the fans back invigorated. In front of the front and end. Let's go. So just before we go, again, if, you, if you're not already subscribed, I know Pompey already have more members on there, but get on FanHub, message us, get a code if you need it predict the lineups, listen to our stuff and everyone else's stuff across the EFL on there. All that malarkey. Yep, hit us up, Fan Hub. And last but not least, if you want a beer, we're going to the Tap Brewery. Come say hi, whatever. We'll be out drinking, probably outside if it's nice weather. If not, we'll be cowering inside from the rain so that Freddie's beer doesn't go all frizzy. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's where we'll be. But Fred, it's been a delight having you on part of the podcast and congratulations on the news gig. Cheers. Yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind through a week, a few weeks, organising the move, organising the new job, and pretty much going through loads of other stuff. And I've, I've had so many very nice messages from loads of people saying congratulations. That's incredibly kind. I've, I'm not sure if I got back to all of you, but it's it means a lot. So thank you so much. And hopefully I'll be part of these podcasts. And I, I, and I hope the uh, continuing. Your internet cut out there a bit, Fred, but it was suitably emotional. It was beautiful. I loved it. And um, people of Portsmouth as well, just to let you know, if you thought maybe this was unachievable with Freddie living in York, he's now in Portsmouth. So if you want to ask him out, hit him up on Twitter. Right. That's the end of the show. And until next time. Hang on. Do I not get a goodbye, you bastard? I know. I thought I did you already. No. Oh, fuck that. All right. Little shit. Oi, Andy, it's been great having you on the podcast. Piss off, Buns. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me, mate. Always a pleasure. Um, And no one else is allowed to ask Fred out until after he's actually read my message. I'm on one tick. It's really quite awkward. That's annoying. I hate that when that happens. I hate that. And until next time, Flower Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast at Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!